Last Sunday, I decided to go for a little walk in the woods with my kids and a friend of mine, and we were walking around, and uh, my daughter, who um, had received an update, just said, Kobe Bryant has died. And I remember when she told me, I said, no, no, he didn't, right? I don't know if you've I don't know if you heard this, and like your first response was, there's no way. Like, there, there's those things that come out, and, and I said, there's no, there's no way, and, and I, I immediately got on my phone and went to ESPN and realized it was true, and heartbroken and an athlete myself and loving sports, like, maybe the greatest, one of the greatest to ever play, and then you hear that it was him and his daughter, right? And, and then it went... From, from just a, a great basketball player who, who really made a difference in a community and, and had lived a difficult life and had a journey of his own and, and had made some poor choices, but had really, really grown from that. It then moves to um, his, his 13-year-old daughter. And immediately I go into, he was 41. I'm almost 40. I'm not 40 yet, but almost 40. And I immediately begin to think of my own life, right? And my daughter being 14, and then you hear that there were more, right? A mom and a dad and their daughter who leaves behind two kids and, and then another mother and her daughter and then a mom who was on the plane who left behind a husband and family. And man, it just in this week, it's been really interesting to hear people talk. Obviously, there's been a lot of discussion um, about Kobe and, and who he was as a basketball player. But I actually think that, that the conversation changed pretty quickly to who he was as a dad, yeah. right? Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, if you, um, you may not know who that is, another great basketball player, um, broke down and was talking about him, and he said something that stuck with me. He said he was the best dad that he knew. Yeah. And he said that he had never seen Kobe so happy as he had been over these last couple years since retiring, coaching his daughter. And, and so... Obviously, as we're talking about the meaningful life, I mean, that's exactly where I went to. I just went to this thought that everyone on that plane, no matter how great Kobe was and the money that he made and the fame, they're all really just the same, right? They're all really just the same in the sense of at the core of their being, they wanted meaning in their life, all of them. And now that they're gone, and, and I'm going to pray for a mo- in, a, in a moment, but, but now that they're gone and their families are trying to figure things out, what I think Vanessa, Kobe's um, wife and girls, they long for their dad, not, not the basketball player. Uh, the, the other coach, the, the woman who is married and kids, they, they long for their mom, right? That there, there's meaning to those things. And I think, and I said this week one, at the end of my life, whenever that is, whenever that is, and I hope that's a long way away, but whenever that is, and people stand, and there's a, a funeral or a memorial, whatever you want to call it, my hope is that people would be able to say, Kyle knew what he was created to do, and he did it. Yeah. Kyle knew what brought meaning to his life, and he pursued it. And so I'm going to pray for them, but, but ultimately I'm praying for us. I think sometimes there's these things that happen in our world um, and, and we can skip through them too quickly. And this one seems to be one of those that I don't think that people will. But there's something happening. I've loved seeing the posts from friends uh, who have girls, girl dad. And, and there's just something stirring. And, and for us as a church and as a family, I want us to evaluate our lives. 
I want us to pay attention and say, okay, what, what, what is bringing meaning to my life? Because your life matters, and there's meaning that comes from it. And so would you pray with me? Father, I pray in these moments for these families that are devastated. I, I know, Lord, that, that death happens. I know that there are tons of people in our world who are losing loved ones. I know there are people in other countries and military and police officers and, and violence in Chicago. There, there is death all around us, but, but there is something about this one that has captured our hearts and our minds. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use it. You would use it. It would make a difference um, in people's lives. I've been blown away at how I've seen even basketball players reconciling with one another. There is a stirring that's happening. And so, God, would you continue that in our lives? Would you begin to speak to us? Would you challenge us? I pray for those families, even as they prepare for funerals, that your grace and your peace would go before them and that you would be near to them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about experience. Uh, I was a, a sophomore in college, and some friends of mine decided to go to The Price is Right. Anyone ever been to The Price is Right or on The Price is Right? No. It is an incredible experience. So there were six of us that we decided to fly out to L.A., and we, I don't know if you know how this works, you stand outside. We spent the night outside of the studios where they record The Price is Right in the streets of L.A. We just stayed on the sidewalks, first in line. And we, we stayed there the entire night. We wake up the next morning, and what happens is they just shuttle you in in groups of 10 or 12, and a producer comes out and talks to every person who will be in the studio audience. And so you're exhausted, but they want you to basically, you know, perform for them. And so, you know, you try and do your best, and you, you try and be interactive, and, and the whole goal is that you want your name to be called, right? And so you get into the studio, and man, they, everyone is exhausted, but they do their best to get everyone excited. Nobody has slept, and then it happens. They call the first name, and every name they call, you're just waiting for it to be your name or someone in your group. And so they fill up the, the row with the first ones. We're on the front row right behind everybody. We're waving at the, the camera the, the entire time. And we're high-fiving the people as they come down. But the whole time, we're excited for them. But ultimately, we're hoping for our chance to be on The Price is Right. And then comes the last game, the second to last game. And they have one more name to call. And you're just waiting for your name to be called. And it's not. And no one in our group was called that Day. Now, I look back, and I, I think about that, and it would have been incredible, but what I really remember is the experience. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd love to win a car or whatever they want to give me, but, but really it was the experience that meant the most, that the story that comes out of that experience. You have these experiences in your life. It's all about experience. If you look at advertising, if you're uh, staying in touch with, with the way people are promoting things, promoting experience more than stuff, right? Give experience to your kids. That, that's the, the, the slogan right now. Don't, don't just buy more stuff. Give your children experience. And everybody is looking for a good experience. Everybody is longing for a good experience. We, we want that in our lives. And if I asked you, you could share with me some of the greatest experiences of your life. But I also know that you could share some of those moments that weren't so great. Right? What we want are the great experiences. What we long for are the great experiences. But, but honestly, all of us have experienced these things in our lives 
that, that we wish we didn't go through. That we would change. We would trade for something else. We wish we could rewind the tape, that we could make a different decision, or those things that we had no choice or, or no decision on, that those things could look different. We all have those experiences in our lives, and they've shaped us, they've formed us, they've really made us who we are today. We've been looking at a scripture that really is the, the key scripture for this series. It's Ephesians 2.10. Uh, I'm going to read it from the screen. Paul uh, writes this to a group of, of Christians, encouraging them, and this is what he says. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That, that you are God's masterpiece that you're not an accident, that you're not a mistake, that there was a plan for you, and a part of that plan is that you would do good works. And what I want you to see today, we've looked at some other things, but what I want you to see today is that part of living a meaningful life is beginning to understand that your experiences matter and how those experiences can also be used for good. Uh, We're going to look at some scripture that Paul has written. Paul did not have the easiest life uh, he persecutes Christians, he arrests them, um, he, he participates in them being beaten. Uh, he actually asks for permission from the government. Can I go find the Christians and pull them out of their homes? This was Paul's life. Paul has an experience with Jesus, and then he becomes one who is being persecuted. He ends up in jail, he's shipwrecked, he's beaten. Um, and and uh, several of the things that he writes, he writes from prison or on house arrest. Paul is not a free man as he writes a lot of the things that we read. I want to read to you Romans 8, 22 through 28. This is something Paul writes. Uh, if you didn't notice, uh, we have brand new Bibles in uh, the, the seat backs. A very generous gift from someone um, buying those Bibles for us as a church. That's important to me because if you're new with us, um, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to have that Bible. Uh, it's a gift to you. The people who bought that, those knew that those would be given away. And so if you don't own a Bible, please take that, write in it. Um, we, we want you to be able to have that Bible. But Romans 8, 22 through 28. And as I read this, I want to just say before I even get there, we're going to end in verse 28. And 28 is one of those that can bring a lot of hope. But it can also be extremely difficult to work through. So Romans 8. I'm going to start in verse 22. It says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what is already has? But, what we, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Just in the beginning, the, 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 Paul is saying all of creation is groaning because it's not as it is intended to be. Yeah. I, I sent a, friend to some mes- uh, a message to some friends this week as we were just kind of wrestling, honestly, in a small group of, of Kobe's passing and the other families and his dads and, and husbands and what that means. And, and I just said, that's one of the things to me that, that proves to me that proves to me that there's something else. 
right? There's just this, that's not how life is supposed to end. That's not how our world is supposed to be. There's this groaning in our creation for something else. It continues. It says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Just real quick, there's those times when the most difficult thing has happened in your life, and people are like, you just got to pray. And I've been in those moments where like, I don't even know what to pray for. Right? And Paul is saying the Spirit of God intercedes for you, that it knows the groans of your heart, that without even speaking, God knows what you need. Verse 27, it says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And then verse 28, it says, and we know We believe, we put our faith in, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Can can I just be honest with you for a moment again and just say there's been times where I've read that scripture in seasons of my life where I just didn't know if that was a reality for me. Right, because you, you experience things and you think, God, is there really any good that's going to come from this? What, what would that even look like for good to come out of this situation? I mean, it is a great scripture, and listen, it is true, and I know it to be true. It is a great scripture for you to hold tightly to and to believe, but it's hard. Because what Paul is saying when he says all things, the original language means all things, It doesn't mean some things. It doesn't mean the easy things. So the mistakes you have made, the dumb decisions that you've made in your past, those actually could be used for good. Failures. Maybe you got married and you fought for your marriage, or maybe you didn't and you went through a difficult time and and you went through a divorce and you thought, man, how could good ever come from that? Or pain and suffering or loss. Loss of anything, really, loss of a job, loss of a friend, but the loss, the death of someone close to you, in the midst of that, the, the idea of being used for good is really, really hard. But, but we see, we see that Paul is saying, God is working in those things. He is working in those things. And when those of us want to uh, look to him and love him and believe that he could do good, good can come. Right? There, there's not always a, a happy ending. Yeah. Uh, you, you know things don't always go as we want. You, you know that, unfortunately, but God is working. And I want to encourage you that God isn't trying to cause difficult things or bad things to happen in your life. I don't think our loving Father is, is looking for that in our lives. However, I do believe that he can be working in them and through them. But see, we can't always see that especially when you're in the midst of it. I don't know if you've ever uh, uh, gone on a vacation, you've been excited, maybe you had kids, maybe you didn't, but if you've ever traveled with little kids, you know where you're headed and there's this excitement of where you're going, but it is death in the car uh, on the way, right? Like, uh, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And man, I'm thankful for DVD players when, you know, growing up, it was like you had to figure out what to play. Now it's to watch a movie, right? But, but it's like, are we, are we there, right? All they can see is the inside of a car. 
right? They, they can't see what the future is going to look like as a, as a kid. And I think often for us in the, the midst of di- difficult things, we kind of get in that mindset. We only see the now, and that's understandable. And sometimes something has to intercede or come in, and sometimes it's time when we eventually get to a point and we say, how could good come? So, you, you have gone through difficult things, and maybe you're in the midst of that right now. And so can I just say to you, as we talk about this, and we talk about good coming from the experiences of your life, and maybe they're fresh, can I just tell you, maybe, maybe not right now. I mean, maybe in these moments, I think God could and, and he, he can, but, but maybe for you in these moments, it's, it is a season of grief. It, it is a season of figuring out what life looks like, but, but eventually, I mean, my hope is that all of us will be able to look back in our lives at Romans eight twenty eight and say, as difficult as that was in the moment, I now see how God has used that for good. I now see how God has used those experiences to make a difference. And so as difficult it is, as it is, I'm going to ask you to pay attention to those difficult moments in your life. For those are often the ones that we will be able to use for the most good. And so my hope for all of us is that we won't waste our experiences. They won't be wasted. Whatever those are, good and bad, right? We're going to talk about this. The good experiences you've had also make a difference in people's lives. But, But likewise, those that are more difficult bring good as well. So how? How do we do this? I want to give you a couple, couple things, three things. Um, if you take notes, great. Uh, I think hopefully you'll be able to remember these. But the first one is that you really have to embrace your experiences. They happened. They happened as difficult, as, as hard as they were, or as great as they were. They, they happened so good, bad, those things that have brought shame, that you felt shame from, uh, the hurtful things. Uh, the, those things, we have to begin to pay attention and embrace them and not run from them. Right? And, and again, I, I, I'm going to reiterate this a couple times. I think this is in seasons. Right? But some of us have, have been out of that season for a while. And, and as difficult as it might be, there, there might be a going back. There might be a time of paying attention to what happened. Paul says this in Galatians 3, 4. He says, have you experienced so much for nothing? This is a new living, so it may look a little different in the Bible that you have. Uh, but, but Paul says, have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? But, but Paul is saying, everything you've gone through, it wasn't a waste. There is a purpose to what you have experienced. Your experiences are not a waste. They brought pain, maybe they brought regret, maybe shame or grief, but, but that doesn't have to be all. So I believe that God can use all of our experiences to, to do good, to make a difference in the people around us, but we have to embrace them. We have to remember them. Uh, Deuteronomy 11 uh, says this, You must love the Lord your God and always obey his requirements, decrees, regulations, and commands. Keep in mind that I am not talking now to your children who have never experienced the discipline of the Lord your God or seen his greatness and his strong hand and powerful arm. 
They didn't see the miraculous signs and wonders he performed in Egypt against Pharaoh and all his land. They didn't see what the Lord did to the armies of Egypt and to their horses and chariots, how he drowned them in the Red Sea as they were chasing you. He destroyed them, and they have not recovered to this very day. Your children didn't see how the Lord cared for you in the wilderness until you arrived here. They didn't see what you did to Dathan and to Abiram, the sons of Eliab, a descendant of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth in the Israelite camp and swallowed them, along with the households and tents and every living thing that belonged to them. But you have seen the Lord perform all these mighty deeds with your own eyes. So he's saying, look, your, your kids don't know the story if you don't tell them. You have to remind them of the goodness of God. You have to remind them how God has intervened on your behalf. Can I just tell you that those moments for them, even being rescued, were not easy. They lost people in the midst of that. There was death and pain and wonder. And, and, and the writer of this is saying, you have to remember those things. Not only you, but those who come after you have to learn from those experiences. Embrace them. Remember them. Those around you need to know what you have gone through. So your experiences can either be forgotten, but the pain you experienced will be wasted. Or we can embrace them and possibly get something good to come from them. Soren Kierkegaard, who was a philosopher in the 1800s, he said this, Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We, we, we don't always understand things until we look back. And we have to look back. Now, can I just plug something for a moment? And I try and do this uh, regularly. Uh, sometimes this means seeing a counselor. Like, all, all of you need to see a counselor. Can I just say that? And I say that out of my own experience. I have uh, had a counselor and seen a counselor. There is nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Maybe not all, but most of us uh, need to sit down and to talk with a counselor about the things we've experienced in our life. There's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes we're not able to see the good from our experiences because of that pain we had, because of the things that were done to us or said to us, or the choices that we made. And so maybe it's taking the step and seeing a counselor. Maybe that's where good can come. And, and seeing a counselor means you begin to embrace the experiences of your past. See, Jesus even uses this language as he's about to go to the cross and he's with his disciples. He says, you don't realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. He's going to wash their feet and then he's going to go to a cross and the disciples are going to abandon him. As Jesus goes to a cross, he goes alone. Because the disciples only see what's happening in the moment. And Jesus says, I've told you, you're, you're not going to understand what's happening right now. But you will one day. And so for many of us, maybe now is that one day. Maybe now is the opportunity to say, man, those experiences were hurtful and I didn't think I'd be able to get through it. But, but now what? What would God want to do through those experiences so we have to embrace them and then we begin to extract so we embrace and we begin to extract the lessons from those experiences i don't know if you remember when you were in school and you would learn something and you're like why am i learning this like i'm never going to use this right you you, you had no idea but but for those things we've gone through that there is something good that could come in the moment you're thinking this doesn't matter how could this ever bring good but as you begin to to extract some of those lessons, maybe good could come. If we can seek God in those experiences, maybe we can learn 
from them. That's a part of becoming mature, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. There is this maturity where we begin to say, all right, God, teach me from my experiences for a reason that that there would be good that would come from it. In Job 32, 6 through 9, Job lives a difficult life. Uh, That's an understatement. Uh, Basically, his whole life is taken away from him. There's this wrestling that takes place, and he doesn't want to abandon God, and he's he's kind of in this place. And then there's this guy named uh, Elihu, who in Job 32, uh, 6 through 9, says this, I'm young in years, and you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak. Advanced years should teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them understanding. It is not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understand what is right. Elihu says, look, uh, I've learned something because the breath of the Almighty is in me. And this is what I would say to you, that God brings purpose to our pain. I think God can bring purpose to our pain, and our pain doesn't have to be pointless. Paul writes about this as well, Philippians 1, 12 through 14. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's writing this in prison. He is not a free man. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul is saying, look, I I probably wouldn't choose to be here. I wouldn't choose these chains, but this is my experience. And Paul says, I'm learning a lesson that the gospel is actually advancing because of what I'm going through. That good is coming. That the people are hearing the good news of the gospel and others are growing more confident. Paul has found purpose in his pain. His circumstances are being used to proclaim Christ. And so we embrace our past, we extract um, the, the lesson, and then we begin to engage others. We engage others for them to be used as good, our experiences to be used as good. I, I don't know if you know this, but your experiences could be really helpful to someone else. Really helpful to someone else. This is why Paul is writing what he's writing uh, to those who read it then and to us today. See, nobody longs for those experiences. No one plans them out. No one hopes for difficult moments. No one dreams about that, but they happen. They happen. And so the question is, what do we begin to do with them? Well, here's how this looks tangibly. Here's how we engage others. We use our experiences to minister to them. Minister just means to attend to the needs of. And so in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, Paul again says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. It could have ended there. That is a true statement. That, that God comforts us in our troubles. But Paul goes on and says, so that we can comfort those in trouble, in any trouble, with the comfort we ourselves received from God. The things that you have experienced, for the most part, someone around you probably is experiencing it as well. And if they aren't, they, they probably will. And so we go through our problems, God meets us where we are, he brings comfort, but for a purpose. How do we then comfort others as they go through maybe the same thing? So your things happened. Your experiences happened. Don't 
I don't want to waste them. There's an opportunity to minister to people. Uh, we started Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights. Um, it's an opportunity to deal with your hurts and your habits, ha- habits and hang-ups. Um, and, and here's what is true. It, it's for all of us. All of us have hurts, hang-ups, and habits. All of us. A lot of people have found freedom from addiction through Celebrate Recovery. And what I know to be true is, is often they find that with the help of others who have found freedom in the midst of their addictions, right? That in the midst of their addiction and they found freedom and they've been sober, they've worked a plan or they've been healed and, and now through their experiences, instead of thing, saying, man, I regret that and I have shame from that and those things may be true, n- now there's people who are saying, how do I use those experiences to help someone else? Um, maybe it's sickness. Maybe you've gone through a, a difficult time. Maybe you got the diagnosis of cancer and you've gone through chemo and maybe that experience helps someone else who goes through it as well or divorce or miscarriage. I remember when we had a miscarriage between our two kids and it felt like it wasn't talked much about like miscarriages. And so it was very quickly that people would come to us and say, yeah, we had a miscarriage too. And it was just simply their presence and knowing that it would be okay. People ministered to us through a difficult moment in their own life and for us. Maybe it's financial instability. Maybe you've found a way and you've made it out and you would come alongside someone. Or grief. Those experiences that maybe you wish never happened actually could be used to minister to someone else. And also the good things. You've learned leadership skills and you've ran uh, healthy businesses or you have a good marriage. Like the, those things, those good experiences likewise are used to minister to other people. But, but can I just tell you, don't run from the difficult ones. Your good experiences will help people and enable people and encourage people, but, but it's those difficult things that often will be used the most to bring healing and hope to other people. And so we motivate others. When others are discouraged, they feel like they're drowning. When they're down, we can motivate them, right? We can give them hope. We can help them overcome fears. You begin to break some barriers that maybe they have in their life. Uh, In 1954, Roger Roger Bannister did something that no one had ever done, and he ran a mile in under four minutes. Uh, People thought it would never, never be accomplished. 1954, Roger does this. There's now been over 1,400 people who have registered that they have run it in under four minutes. It's basically now the standard for the mile race. Like if you are a good mile runner to run it under four minutes, it's 15 miles an hour is how fast you are running. And it took one person. Right before then, everyone thought, there's no way I could get through that. There's no way I could run a sub four minute mile. I promise you there are people around you who are feeling like there's no way I will get through this. There is no way I'll see it on the other side of this. And you can come alongside them and say, I understand it's extremely hard. This will be some of the most difficult things you've ever gone through. But I've made it to the other side. Let me, let me help you break those barriers to think that it couldn't happen. Uh, one of the best ways to do this is to live this out and to motivate others is to model it. That means you live it out with them, that you're paying attention to what's going on in in their life. Philippians 3.17 says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Jesus didn't just talk about how to live life, he modeled it. And so part of motivating others is to begin to model it. 
What does it look like to be authentic, to be honest, to, to say how difficult it was, to talk about your own anxiety, to talk about depression, to talk about those things that people often don't talk about, but you have experienced? What does it look like to model those things? And then we mentor others. We need someone who will guide us, who will coach us, who will lead us through those difficult times. 1 John 1.3 says this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Uh, We want you to be connected to us, the writers of this are saying. We're, We're telling you what we've experienced in our lives so that you could be connected to us. And so I've had so many important mentors in my life. Right now I have four mentors, people I would consider my mentors. Only one lives in St. Louis. Uh, The other three live in in different places. Uh, But each one of them, for a significant reason, are a mentor to me. I mean, how do I become a better leader? How do I be a good dad? How do I be a a good husband, a community leader, a pastor? How do I deal with conflict? Uh, How do I work through the pain of my past? I have people that I'm mentoring. And likewise, I have those that I am mentoring. So can I just challenge you? You need a mentor. You need a guide. You need a coach. Those difficult things you're struggling with, you you can seek someone out who has maybe been through what you are going through. But we also need to mentor. Some of you who have been married for a while and you have figured out some of the keys of a healthy marriage, it'd be great you know someone who is recently married just to say, hey, we'd love to just walk through this with you. Um, dads, when, when, when you see a friend, you have a friend have a new baby, come alongside of them. Moms, as you have got to your maybe multiple kids and now you know that life will be okay, uh, go, to, go to those new moms who think they'll never sleep or rest again. You come alongside of them and you mentor them and you help them to be the best mom they can be. See, your experiences, both good and bad, have the potential to make a difference in the lives of those around you. We have to embrace them. They happened. We have to look for the lesson. We have to extract the lesson. And then we engage those around us through them. We minister and we motivate and then we begin to mentor. You haven't asked for those things to happen. Many of you would do anything to to change that. However, those experiences might just be the thing God is looking to use to make a difference in others' lives. We've looked at the giftings that we have, how God has made us. We've looked at our hearts, the things that we have passion for, that we desire to see change. Last week, we looked at our personalities and how we're all different, and that's good, and we have to figure out how God uses those, and then our experiences. How do we begin to have a meaningful life? I think you begin to work through those things. And ultimately, my prayer for each of us is that we would say, God, I give you myself, all of me, including my experiences, including those decisions I made back then that I regret and I wish I wouldn't have, those things that happened to me. God, I want to give those to you. Would you begin to use those for good? Well, this morning, we're going to end by taking communion together. Um, my hope is that, that even in this moment, there would be an opportunity for you to believe in the one who, as we talked about earlier, pursues you, this reckless love who comes after you. And no matter where you've been or what you've done, he is pursuing you. And there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is a purpose to your life. You matter. And so I'm happy that you're here with us as we're working through this. But maybe today would be that time where you would take a step and say, you know what, I've never really given my life to God. 
I've never been able to say, I'm submitting myself, God, would you use me? And maybe today is that day. And the reason we take communion is to remember that, is to remember and be thankful for what God has done in our lives. And so hear the good news that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us, that you are forgiven.